As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello, it's Monty here for this episode of On Farm. This is part two of our big chat about current issues facing farming with four brilliant guests. I'm Rory Christie and I'm a dairy farmer and pig farmer from southwest Scotland. I'm also vice chair of SOS and founding chairman of the Milk Supply Association. I'm Marion McCormick. I hail from Oban. I was a buyer with Aldi for nearly 20 years. I'm now on the Scotland uh, Food and Drink Board and uh, do a lot of work with the RET and I co-own a small uh, confectionery company out of Glasgow, which I'm glad to say is furnished with British sugar beets, British dairy products, and I'm delighted to be here with you all. My name's Neil White. I'm an arable farmer from the southeast of Scotland, producing lots of different uh, combinable crops here on the farm. You can have a good day out on my produce. You start with your porridge in the morning, have a little bit of beer at lunchtime, some whiskey in the evening, some gin maybe just to top you up, and then maybe finish with some uh, wheat-fed chicken in the evening, which you can buy from the local shop. I don't, I don't produce the chicken. I just uh, <laughs> overselling as usual. No, you feed the chicken. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I feed the chicken. That's what it is. Yeah. Good morning, sheep fans. Cammy's the name. Sheep's the game. I'm a 31 year old sheep farmer from Southwest Scotland. I'm based here in Ayrshire, running about a thousand sheep total, and I have a YouTube channel that's all about sheep called the Sheep Game. I'm delighted, we're delighted, to have such a lot of talent, brains and passion for farming in our programme. If you missed part one last week, I would suggest you go back and listen to it in full. But if you want to carry on straight into this episode, here's a little bit of an idea about what we talked about last time. I think at the moment, the uncertainty, I would I would say more than the weather, more than the weather in the market, it's actually everybody's sort of asking, well, where are we going with this? And I think we have to, you know, they say about trees, putting the right tree in the right place. Well, I actually think farming's about that. It's about putting the right crop or the right animal in the right place. We should have a national food strategy map. We have a network that can take our primary produce, have it converted and be sold locally. I was particularly struck by Cami's take on life. He personally has a real passion for farming and what he does. You know, his take on life is, let's grab it with both hands. Let's be passionate. It's all about being positive. I'm just running about doing the things I do anyway whilst holding a camera and, and people seem to enjoy it. I love what I do. Like, when I left the police last year, I was 30, I'm, 30, I'm still I'm 31-year-old, but I said to my gaffer when I left, like, I, I genuinely feel like I'll never work another day in my life. My mindset's totally changed over the years because when I first started in the police, we didn't have sheep. 
my dad was a shepherd and he sort of pushed me this way of, you know, there's no money in being a shepherd, which he's quite right, it's a lifestyle thing. You know, go and do something else. So I became a police officer because SNP were like, we're desperate, we need a thousand new cops, we'll let him do in. So 18 year old, I went straight out of school and, 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 and joined the police. It was a different mindset. It was, you know, you have to get the nice car on, on a finance deal. You have to buy the nice house. You need Fred Perry gear or whatever the fancy gear is these days. Like, it's, it's weird. It's totally it's like, and I, I genuinely, I mean this, I'm wearing a pair of tracksuit bottoms just now because I'm scanning every day with my joggies. I've been wearing them since the 3rd of January, every day. <laughs> like, and <laughs> if that isn't, if that isn't just the way to live your life, what a great lifestyle that is. <laughs> You're never going to sell farming as a career to young people or persuade people that farming is a great way of life if you're constantly moaning. I think the key thing is that it's fun. And you're asking us tonight, Monty, what, you know, what is the future? Well, unless the future's fun, nobody's gonna want to do it. Rory Christie, with his comments about food as medicine. What is absolutely at the root of good health is good food. You attach the relevance of what British Scottish farming does to that well-being of our nation, then you build a nation from the ground up, literally from farming up, to having good well-being. The well-being of the nation should start with healthy food, eh? So last time we finished up talking about how we need to find ways to make Scottish food and farming more relevant to people. And that, listeners, is where we're going to pick up this time. As far as I can see, the problem is unhealthy food is big money. You know, that's where, you know, these big companies making massive profits out of cheap, crap food. And someone told me a thing the other day, and this is just hearsay, so I'm not quoting this as a a correct stat because I've just heard it secondhand. But somebody told me something like, some of these vegan, uh, I keep mentioning that because I'm not having a go at them at all, at all. It's just I'm using that as an example. These uh, vegan meals, they were talking about why they saw these adverts and it's pushed so hard, vegan this, from, you know, big companies and stuff. And it's like 90% profit, whereas you look at the price of lamb, of beef, the margin that the supermarket has, while still probably a little bit too much and more should go to the farmer, it'll be a lot less than what they get off of something that they can wrap in plastic and keep for ages and say it's the same as meat. It's as as simple as this, right? There are thousands of thousands of food producers around the world and in the regular food market there are hundreds of thousands probably of food processors. If we get to the point that we've got synthetic food with IP on it, there'll be two or three or five monster companies who own the right to make food. And we do not want to get there. So synthetic food made by multi-billion dollar companies, the food equivalent of Apple, okay? And, but that's the thing. If you've, if you're, die, you get that. And even the companies just now, though, behind these things, if you've got enough money, you can push any agenda you want. You know, you can fill social media with it. I mean, I even seen quite gutted today. Actually, I saw Eddie Hall, who I talks a lot of nonsense all the time, but I actually quite repped him because you know, world's strongest man a few years ago said he was going to do it. You know, everyone said, "Oh, you're too short. You'll never." Get... He said he was going to do it, and he went and did it. You know, dead life. I like that about him. But he's on the day doing an advert for the McPlant Burger. And it's like, and, he, and he, what annoyed me was he starts the advert as, Hi, I'm Eddie Hall, world's strongest man. It's like, you didn't get world's strongest man no eating meat. Like, all those guys at the top. And, you know, most top athletes, like, meat is such a bit that. But that's money. 
throw enough money at somebody. Hey, if you throw enough money at me, I'll tell you how great the McPlant Burger is. I guess, <laughs> I guess, um, before Monty starts saying we're not getting credible and you've got two like, uh, anti-establishment idiots here on the conspiracy theories, there is something to be, to be said for it. But if, if we, you asked us to talk about you know, what it could look like in the future, what it could look like, it, it, it could go a number of ways. But there are, there are things that need to happen. Something that's close to my heart at the moment is, is energy, energy production. So I live in De Vries and Galloway. Longest single line of sight wind farm in Europe. Goes all the way from Berlocher to Glenluce to Whiteleys at Glasgow. And if you stand in the right place, you can see it all the way. But guess what? I can't get a connection. I can't get connection at all in the grid. Now, my, my um, carbon footprint is 50% power, 50% enteritic methane for ease accounting. So how could I sort that? Well, I could quite easily go power neutral by having wind, solar and battery or a combination of. But I cannot get a connection in the grid. I need about half a megawatt to a megawatt to do that. And critically, I need battery technology. And it could be done if I could get the infrastructure. Now, the Vision Gallery has got lots of farmers like me and smaller and bigger. And every one of them could access wind, solar and battery. And if they've got battery, then when the milk tanker comes to collect my milk, it can plug in for the 40 minutes it sits there to suck out and use my power generation to go to the next farm. And, and then I, I guess there's, if you get to what they call superabundant electricity, if you get the right combination of SWB, solar wind and battery, then I can start to do things like uh, pulling atmospheric nitrogen out and putting it into my slurry. I then start to move away from what they call Haber-Bosch, which is fertilizer. So it can become very quickly, if power neutral or even positive, even become microgenerators for the grid. But you have to have a willpower from either your region or the nation to put in the infrastructure to do it. At the moment, there is one thirty-three thousand volt line in the South Markers of Scotland, and nobody can touch it because it's the grid is over capacity with all these windmills that are owned by foreign companies and whose profits are leaving our shores. Now I could half my, and so could the Friesian Galloway, the Friesian Galloway's farmers, half their carbon footprint without touching their enteritic methane if they could generate their own power. That was one of the points that we did make to government, you know, in various meetings, was that the micro-generation, on-farm generation, was overlooked, always overlooked. You know, we'd been in Germany and, and uh, been around there and, they, you know, there would be a couple of turbines and then an anaerobic plant and then another couple of turbines, all different companies, everybody micro-generating. And then if you've got surplus, you could maybe put it into the grid or you could store it in a battery, like you say. But, you know, I, I, think, I think we are very well placed in rural communities to, to be providing power for ourselves, maybe other houses nearby you know i have a biomass boiler here and i burn rape straw so it comes off the field on the other side of the road goes in a in a five foot by four round bale into my boiler and that provides the heat and hot water for my house and the offices that i'm sitting in here my wife's offices for a day one bale keeps all of that going for a day so you may ask why are we fighting about a gas uh, oil field off the coast of shetland and why are we allowing or asking any of us to bring in shell gas from America? 
I know that we need to rely on them now and we're terribly worried about what's happening in Ukraine. But is it not better to have Plan B as well, which is invest in power generation here, invest in the very people you have asked to underpin your GHG reduction targets in the country? We can do it for the nation, but give us the tools to do it. And that is absolutely what's not happening. So, Monty, if they want us to have a future, a 20, 30 year great place to be, because guess what? When I start to do that, I'll start making some money. I'll start making some money, and then I can start investing in less. I might just have less cows, because otherwise, you need to have as many, because I'm not running like a hamster on the mill that I can't get off, so I could have 20% less. And I can make some money doing other things. Because really, what's wrong is I've got all my eggs in the agricultural basket, and it's gay fragile. Right, let's let's go for that then. Let's pretend that we're on that. What was that BBC program? Is it Seven Up when they come back and 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 um, look at kids in the seven, fourteen, etc. If I was to say to you, right, okay, you've been a great panel tonight, and we're going to have you back in seven years' time, where would you be? Where where will you be as 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 you, and where will you be as your business? And I'll go to Marion first. You know, I would like to. I would like to be. I probably will be retired, but I'd like to be reflecting on the fact that we have taken a ch- a chance on. You know, being thinking, thinking, thinking visionary, thinking about all the positive things that we have, and 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 investing in them rather than selling, selling our soul, selling our assets. You know, as I've always been an advocate of producing less and valuing it more. You know, the more the less we have of certain things, you know, the more precious it is. And Scotland is a magnet. We just don't make enough of that. So I'd like to be looking back to think whether it be food, carbon, soil, you know, in terms of, you know, reputation, in terms of our integrity of, of how we do things. We've actually listened to a lot of the people who are doing very innovative things and taking some of those things on. Cami. I, so I like all these kind of, not, I don't know if they're self-help books, but there's a great book called Atomic Habits. And it's this idea that like, don't set goals, just set systems and just keep doing the systems and you'll get to your goal. But like goals, you set a goal and then things change, you know, like subsidies change or or anything can happen in life. But if you keep doing the systems, so like, I don't really, I actually don't know where I'm going. I'd like to buy a farm, but I don't assume that if I keep doing well, I'll buy a farm. I just think, just like I never knew I was going to be doing YouTube and doing these things, you know, three years ago. So I just keep doing the system of, work with my sheep, do build the YouTube and see what route these things take me. I have no idea is the answer. To give a pure cheesy answer, if I was as happy as a mother now and enjoying what I do, then that's a win for me. Uh, but I, I don't know. As someone especially that's on seasonal lets and has no business plan, no long-term finance that I need to keep working towards at the next seven years, I have no idea. That's the honest answer. It's a terrible answer, but it's, I, I, I don't know. It's an honest answer. It's a good answer. Neil? Well, I obviously, at the moment, you know, we're making some longer-term plans. I've I've got a son who's interested and a daughter who's not interested, despite me continually telling her she could quite easily be an arable farmer. So I suppose I'm working seven years, actually, in my head doesn't really seem that that far away. And we always think there's going to be huge change. And actually, there's often quite a lot less change than they think there's going to be. But I, I hope... I hope that food and drink production is still at the heart of what I do because I don't see the desire for those products going away and I hope that we can produce the the raw materials for that here 
because I passionately believe that this is one of the best places in the world to farm what I'm farming. I think when you take all the factors into consideration with the climate, the proximity to markets, even political stability and everything, you know, it's as good a place. We often used to say, well, if we were going to emigrate somewhere, where would we go? And I said, well, I would have to do something different. If I'm going to be a farmer, it doesn't get any better than, than doing it here, you know. So I, sadly, I, I see myself doing a similar version of what I'm doing now, but I am... Um, I would like to to even more reduce, you know, my, my cultivations, find a way to have an even lighter touch on the ground and maybe probably try and grow my business more. You know, I, I think it is becoming more scalable. You know, I'm a one man band at the moment. I would like to I would love to employ. I think I think it's a great thing to employ people. My wife employs quite a lot of people and and I would like to have someone, you know, if my son was gonna work it it not have to work on his own you know have a big enough farm where you could you could have someone else and and move your business forward in that way but uh but no i i hope that i hope that food and drink you know the, the scottish food and drink industry has some very very ambitious targets you know for for the next kind of five to ten years and if they're going to hit them somebody's going to have to produce that stuff and uh i think it should be done here I love that. I love that pride from you, Neil. I think that's and and from Cami. I think that's brilliant. Um, Rory, seven years time. I hope my cows are given twenty five percent more milk each because I've done such a brilliant job on genetic improvement. And I hope that twenty five percent is extra milk that I produce is going to a Scottish owned farmer cooperative that's doing innovative new dairy products. I hope my pigs continue to perform at world-beating level, which my brother does, and then those pigs are being sold to a Scottish, fully integrated, processed, processed in Scotland. I hope I'm power neutral, and I hope I'm growing herbal lays, and I'm doing something for, else for the environment, you know, legacy trees and things like that. Maybe most importantly, we got a complete surprise when our daughter, who got uh, they did really well in their exams, got five A's in their hires. Turned around and said, Daddy, I want to go to Newcastle to study to study agriculture. Not something that we saw coming. So so that's pretty cool. So I've got to maybe start thinking about the continuation and how what that's going to look like. The mother-daughter's shaping up, wanting to go to young farmers as well, which is, is worrying. What will I be doing? I hope that in seven years' time I've got the, the staff and the management structure in place, that all of this vision that I have is being run by them, they're hitting all the technical standards, and I hope I'm regularly away from the farm, letting them have the space, and I'm away doing vision enablement, and I'm helping put in place these things that I see need to be done, whether it be in some industry organisation or doing TED Talks around the world. Whatever it is, I've got the same pride and passion that everybody in this room has got, and I want to make it happen. Well, there you are. Marion, you're you're involved in RET as well, and you know surely, surely you know the education side of things. That's going to be key to to promoting our industry and creating a better understanding of of what we do in the future. Since I've been involved in RET, I think that what I found, what I was surprised to find is so much of it is uh, the work that they do to educate kids is supported by and funded by the farming community, and I do think. And the government does have a, a role to play in it and recognises the good that it does. But I just think there's a disconnect 
around um, what the objectives are and what the outcome they want to be. So one minute we're kind of supporting Scottish agriculture through the back door, but then we're not we're bashing it, you know, in terms of some of the educational policies. I think that should be much more aligned, and you know, the you know children truly understand what's possible in terms of what comes out of the ground in Scotland and what it can convert to, you know, at home, in the, in the home. Um, and I think an awful lot of them don't understand it. And then if they don't understand it, they don't value it. And Rex playing a big part in that, though, in, in, in trying to avoid that miss or or solve that problem. Yeah, yeah, I was, what I was saying there was everything, everything, my observations of Rhett, Rhett of doing a, a fantastic job, the, you know, the coordinators around the country. It's all, you know, the, they are part-time paid and then we've got, you know, all the CI groups uh, doing their piece. But, you know, they're just they're scratching the surface, you know, and if Education Scotland is not integrated with that, you know, their 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 message there, you know, there lots of farms are putting in lots of time. But I think if it was much more coordinated, it could be so much better for agriculture, for food, for, you know, just an integrated policy around sitting around that whole piece. I suppose, actually, as far as this pod's concerned, you know, the integration is right maybe picking up the, the sort of school-age kids and what have you in a sort of more formal setting, but then people like Cami on YouTube in a, in a less formal environment, they, they, they're going to learn a lot from, from things like that, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, and that's, I keep saying, marketing-wise, that's that's what's missing. We, we don't, the farming community talks a lot to itself, but kids today are not, they're not listening to that. They're listening to different channels completely. And, um, you know, we need, you know, real live people that's what they look and watch all the time we need them talking really positively about farming or you know little cameos about whatever it might be and what cami do is doing is exactly that and there's some amazing young people around scotland and the uk doing that but we just it's not done you know it's 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 here and there and it's if it was better targeted you know or you know coordinated i think it, we we could it could be much more effective because people just find it by chance, maybe through, you know, family connections or through a bit of interest or through something, you know, just fun or something exceptional that Cami does that's really hilarious. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, influencing is massive. And, you know, people people are really influenced by their peer groups or what they see that's fun and positive. And I think that, um, yeah, Rhett, Rhett's, they're doing it. They do it as a really good job, but they they just need help on that. On that, to, to, you know, and we all need to be talking much more positively um, beyond the red network. You know, in education. Mar- Marion, how do we? You know, agriculture is a STEM. Uh, it's not STEM science. It's a STEM subject: the science, technology, engineering, and maths. That is agriculture. We need to be being talked about at school and at university in those terms, with that respect. And we need to come in the school hook to make it cool. Um, how do we get it onto? How do we get it into the education? How do we get it taught at school as a science? When I, I look at um, when I was looking for courses with my daughter, where you could go and what you could do. Actually, seeing in, in Scotland, Scotland in the UK, the courses are pretty boring, and no, you know they're not very cool. If you go to Amsterdam, go to Wageningen, or one of these other places, Haas University. Agriculture, you study agricultural entrepreneurialism. Now, how cool is that? And they were turning out all sorts of kids doing all sorts of innovative, exciting stuff. I've got two young men coming in from UCD Dublin for six weeks at a time this spring. Totally passionate. 
about their agriculture, doing agricultural business innovation. And one of them has just arrived from Cornell. He's been away for a semester, New York, studying dairy systems over there. You know, we, there is such opportunity coming. The food is so important. Get it onto the education system and get people to respect and respect it. Is that something? How do you do that, Marion? How do you get it mainstream? Yeah, Rhett, Rhett spends a lot of time engaging with teachers. Um, but it's, you know, sometimes it's it's an uphill battle because you, you get the teachers who are interested in who are focused on it and they've created a whole amount of, in the last two years throughout the pandem pandemic, creating assets, you know, creating video, creating digital content, all that kind of thing that can be used. But you have to get pe pe teachers adopting that and having the enthusiasm and understanding it. And, you know, there are many who do, but there are many, uh, there are the majority that don't. I think there are 32,000 schools or something in Scotland, you know, and we, you know, we're, we're in the thousands, but not in the, you know, tens of thousands. And that's where we need to be. And am I right in saying that there's virtually no, I mean, it sounds maybe terrible, there's no home economics taught. If we don't teach kids about food, how, how will they know, how will they be able to differentiate between a Scottish chicken breast and Kentucky fried chicken when the chicken came from Brazil? You're absolutely right. There is, there are, there are, te there are home ec teachers. There are often not resources in schools to to be able to fund food for the kids to to uh, create things. But uh, there is, there are courses. There are new courses that have come into being, and I mean through the. It's, but it's usually the food sector that's really promoting that in terms of apprenticeships, in terms of courses, in terms of, I think Sterling's running one in, t in terms of the teaching college, and there is an interest but it's from a very small base. We've kind of lost it and we have to, you know, the, the tide has to turn and go the other way. Cami, are you listening to all this? I think we're looking at you as being a bit of not just a social media influencer, but also an educator. Yeah, do you know what? I was thinking just when we were talking there that, um, and my name was getting mentioned there, but Marion, like, it's amazing how much I've learned and this isn't so much about educating the public as much as it's as amazing what I've learned about farming since starting the YouTube because after I started getting a few people watching it I started to feel this real weight of responsibility that anything I say on here people are going to take as I'm not saying they're going to take it as gospel at all but they're going to take it as what I'm saying is correct um, because if, if you say anything with confidence people will believe you more or less I mean look at Boris he's class at it so like <laughs> I was waiting on someone saying but no, that but it's, it's so true like it is true isn't it you know you say anything with confidence and, and real belief people will believe it and so now I think back to like when I first started uh, working with sheep essentially my story kind of goes that when I was 25 my dad died and he was a shepherd and that's where I worked with sheep it was very sudden and I was like oh bit of a grief thing really I'm like I'm gonna buy some one sheep so I can still work with sheep and that's kind of how it all kicked off but then once I got the sheep I was always like why did I never ask him why we do that or you know why did I never ask him about that you just do it because he's like, right, we're dozing the sheep today. This is what we're using. And I'd be like, all right, that's fine. Or we're doing this and that's, uh, you know. And I was like, oh, all these questions I should ask. So I started being like, why, are, why, am I, why am I doing this? The amount of stuff I've learned in terms of like resistance to wormers and how terrible. I, I don't know anything about cows and, and uh, beef and, and dairy, but sheep farmers are shocking. Uh, like their use of uh, medicines and wormers and and flucicides and all these things and the things I've learned since doing that and feeling that responsibility to put information out has just been like massive for for the way I farm I, I do feel like 
it's important to get the message out about what I'm doing and trying to educate other folk and, and do it right. But there is always that danger with folk like myself who are on YouTube and doing these things of well, misinformation on social media is massive. So, you know, we need to get the balance of it's great doing farming things and stuff as long as we do it. Try and do it try and do it right. Do you know what I mean? And try and send the right message and, and Well you can come be- along to one of the a couple of the right farm visits for the kids. I love that. <laughs> I've been I've been setting that up for the last ten minutes listening to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I told him that don't give out any of my details, I told you that. <laughs> no, no, that's absolutely fine. And before we finish, Monday, we'll surely have to mention the fact that we won the Calcutta Cup at the weekend. Oh, you know what? <laughs> when I had, here we are, I'll blow my trumpet for a minute here. So this time last year, after the Calcutta Cup last year, I had Princess Anne as her guest on the podcast. And it was actually the first question I asked her was, Ma'am, what did you make of the, the Calcutta Cup win? That actually got us off on a, on a good uh, on a good basis. And she was, she was quite amenable to some of my more silly questions after that. But yeah... Yeah, awesome, awesome. I, I tell you, Matt, I, I saw a funny thing. My nephew was was five today, and like all he's known is Scottish dominance over England. Like what a life! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. a life. He'll learn. <laughs> Massive thanks again to all four of our panelists. We had former Aldi executive Marion McCormick, ACOS vice chair Rory Christie the Sheep Game YouTuber Cammy Wilson and Berwickshire Arable Farmer Neil White. You can find all of them on Twitter, apart from Cammy. Cammy says he's too young for Twitter and you'll only find him on Instagram. My goodness, it makes me feel old. Anyway, just a reminder, as I said at the start, this episode is part two of a much bigger chat. You can go back and find last week's episode, part one, to get the full benefit of everything our panel had to say. And another reminder, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by our team here at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. You can get in touch with us anytime. Maybe after listening to this, you've been inspired to find ways to inject positivity into your message to consumers. We can definitely help, I'm sure. That's it from me. Take care. See you next time.